kid. Brian Eisenberg, I'm here with Jarrett Phillips, the owner of Train PMT in Southlake. And we got together today because my son, Sammy, went up to his facility. We drove up from Austin to Dallas because we wanted Sammy to get on the Proteus Motion device and get an assessment. And not only get assessment, but look at the data from the way that Jarrett looks at it. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And here's the thing. A couple of years ago, Sammy was throwing in the high 80s. He's a 6'5", 260-pound kid. He's been working in the gym for the last six years. Super, super strong. And for some reason, after his ankle injury, his velo really hasn't gone up. He stayed in around that same place. And so obviously, we've been working on his mobility. We've still been working on more strength. His upper body has always been his weaker side. So we've been spending a lot of time working on that. But somehow that, that velo is still not climbing to where we want it to be, knowing the power and the strength that this kid actually has. He has a you know 475-pound deadlift, a, a near 400-pound squat. Like You look at all the strength metrics, you think, okay, why isn't he throwing that hard? And so that's the question. And so the Proteus, and, and I'll let Jared explain in a little bit more detail what it's actually doing. But on the high level, it's measuring the complete movements um, and all the measurements of, of that movement, of all kinds of different movements in 3D, so that not only are you seeing the force and acceleration, but you can see how that transitions from one movement pattern to the next. And I think that's one of the most interesting pieces, because I think that's a part that's been fundamentally missing in any assessment, in any gym. We can measure force plates, we can measure velocity of just some people have VBT devices that they're using, velocity-based training devices, but this is measuring something completely different. So I'm going to leave it up to Jared to explain that, and then we can dive into what he's found, and hopefully it'll give some insight into what you may be looking for if you need to get your kid to that next level. Okay, I appreciate the intro, and thanks for that. Yeah, so we came across the machine a couple of years ago through Eric Cressy podcast, and I was already looking for a way to assess power angle specific. And so that's one thing that everybody needs to learn right now is speed and power is angle specific. So if I do a barbell bench press with a sensor and I do it explosively, that does not mean that I can do it in a standing punch. Because when I stand up and punch, I have to link my shoulder through my core to my hip. I have to create rotation and it's more dynamic. So in strength conditioning for the longest time, all we're doing is these dumbbells and barbells, a few cables, but ultimately we're not able to measure strength, power, speed at the angles we are experiencing in sport. And for 80 years, 100 years, we just keep trying to get better at it, keep better at it. Proteus is the first thing that allows us to do it way closer to sport than anything we can in the weight room. And it gives us two main things that it does. First, it measures the velocity in which you're moving a set workload. So if everybody does 12 pounds and we rotate and we measure all the best players in the world out there, then we see, hey, the guys that throw 90, 90 plus, 95, they do these five or six things really well. Okay. So we now have a way to measure the specific angles and how it actually works in sport. Okay. That's the first thing. So then you take a like your kid and you have these situations where players they do deadlifts they do squats they do bench press they do rows and they're like hey everybody's got their formula out there if you're not gifted in rotation like overly gifted in rotation like genetically gifted then bench squat power clean is not going to translate to velocity for you but what happens is it did for that guy what it worked for him nobody evaluated went well that guy's an unbelievable fascial mover and he's just gifted and so yeah you throw some weight on him and bam it happens but those are the anomalies but then everybody expects that they're going to work just like the anomaly so what we decided to do was like hey let's really evaluate and keep getting better and better and better and figuring out how do we take the mid-level guys and make them fast or the guys like your son he's like man he's a tank this guy should be throwing 95 miles an hour so that's what proteus did so i can measure it specific to the angle so i can measure the shoulder exactly how it happens when i do a bench press my elbow is by my side when i do a throw my elbow is up here 
So a, a bench press is not going to correlate to internal rotation and throwing. So that's why the Proteus is awesome because we can do those tests. So what we did is we followed the Cressy profile because it is very predictive. So it's going to measure your shoulder chop and lift, okay, which is essentially internal rotation, adduction, all those science terms, but essentially it's throwing. And then it's going to measure the reverse move of that, which is your brakes, which everybody trains and we know, hey, we got to have a good rotator cuff. So then it's going to measure your ability to rotate across your body. So how well your core or more specifically your obliques, the sides of your abs, how well do they rotate you? And then we get to measure independent legs. So when I do a vertical jump, I'm using both legs. When I do a lateral bound, I'm on one leg at a time. Guess what? When a pitcher's coming down off the mound, it's one leg he's landing on. And there's a bunch of research already been done on lateral bounding and its ability to predict velo and all that stuff. So all of that's there. So we don't have to say, was the Proteus done double blind studies? No, the Proteus is measuring things that we already know exist. I, I think last night they did a Twitter live and they mentioned something mm -hmm. like, I don't remember how many thousands of assessments that have been done at this point. Yes. And so this, and like you said, you know, there aren't a gazillion of these machines out there, but there are enough in high level training centers yeah. so, where you're looking at yeah. some of the best athletes out there. Yeah. Like I can run a cohort and see that I can run a high school baseball player through it. And I can see my data sample size is over a thousand players. That's a huge data set huge that tells if you're at the top of that ranking, then you should therefore see performance metrics at the top of that ranking. So interesting. If, one of the things that I noticed right away is in that cohort that they put on the report, it's a 16 to 20. And at first I was like, that's a wide comparison, right? Because of the 16 year old to the 20 year old is a, that's a big fluctuation in maturity of the body, right? You, yeah. You're talking about the high schooler to the college player. But then I've been thinking about the last couple of days. I'm like, you know what? No, I think it's great because that high schooler, if they want to compete at the college level, need mm -hmm. to be looking like those college guys anyway. And so it's a great cohort to look at. And they need to be trending that way. Correct. Like that's the key is if you're ranking in the 43rd percentile, bro, you got no chance. You got to get that up in the 70s and 80s. Yep. And here's what we found. If we make sure that your weakest pattern on Proteus is addressed, and so let's take your son, for example. So I'm going to screen share just to show how, how this works. So let me click that. So I'm going to pull up the produce report. Now, this is a very complicated looking report. We actually created a version of this where we enter this data, make it more simple. There's a lot of numbers on here. But if you look, I'm going to highlight power and I'm going to highlight acceleration. Okay. Actually, can I ask a question about one thing here? I think was yeah. I was going to ask the question last night. But it's one thing I was glad to see, because I think it matters a lot, at least in my opinion, mm -hmm. his overall balance between right and left side. Yeah. If you're training with someone, because baseball is so unilateral, right? We're so focused yes. on one side, that if one side's probably skewed too much, you're probably at a higher risk of injury. Am I correct? Yes and no. So okay. here, there's always going to be some asymmetry on a one-sided sport. And yes, our goal in training is trying to bring balance, but ultimately there's going to be adaptations to even the bone on one side that will be on the other side. Way now, back, for example. That, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean we're not trying to create balance. What we discovered is the more imbalanced you are, the higher risk you are of performance loss or breakdown. So for okay. example, if my right shoulder, I can do the up move, the, the what we call the lift or D2 flexion, if that move is super strong and my down move, which is my chop, we call it, or D2 extension is weak, that means the accelerators that actually throw the ball suck. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is the muscles that have to stretch and fire all year long, they're the ones that are going to break down. Okay. So studies have already told us that if a muscle has to rapidly stretch, that the body is going to make that muscle longer, the more that happens. Okay. Right. So here's what happens for a pitcher. We get to see this layback, but then, you know, they adapt the other way. So it's always this massive external rotation. We see it on Proteus is your D2 up move is more dominant than your D2 down move. Okay. So the flexion extension, which we call chop and lift. We also see it in rotation. 
So what happens is the original study Cressy did is you do a full body punch to the right and you do a full body punch to the left. And then you also do a torso rotation to measure your core. And what they found was, is your non-dominant side was actually better than their dominant side. It was like, whoa, what, what's going on with that? They measured them at the end of the season. So the dominant side has been stretched and stretched because as you throw, you load through stretching the muscles and then firing the muscles. Okay? So you just said something interesting. So in terms of, of getting this measurement, do you, obviously you want to do it multiple times a year, I would imagine. But yeah, if you're going to do it for the first time ever, when, when would you like to see it done? Before well, the season, well, after the season? It doesn't matter because it doesn't matter where you test, whatever's low, you have to chase. Okay, fair enough. So th there's no barrier to entry. It doesn't matter preseason, end of postseason, middle of the whatever. It's going to reveal where your weaknesses are because those are the things you want to address right away. Perfect. And what we found is, is if we always chase your weakest link, that's where we see velo changes. So if I'm going to create power to throw, so I come down off the mound at leg plant, boom, that leg creates ground force. The hips rotate hard to their finish. Boom, now the core kicks on. Now I come down out of extension and I launch the ball over. So you have about four what we call slingshots, where basically your muscles are stretching and then launching. And what parents really need to wrap their mind around is it's not strength, it's not flexibility, it's not speed, it's elasticity. Elasticity is what causes people to throw things fast, run fast, hit fast. It's the ability of the muscles involved in the movement. Can they stretch the rubber band? And then do they have the strength and the speed to snap the rubber band back? So if we just look at the shoulder, when I lay back, I'm stretching the pec, the lat, the internal rotators. And then when I throw, those muscles have to shorten and create a forward arm motion. Mm -hmm. So that's called elasticity. And that's really what governs power. Okay, so it's power with flexibility. So people that go stretch and then never load the movements they stretch, they're actually ruining the rubber band. That's why we never stretch for the purposes of just stretching, because we want a rubber band that can stretch and snap back. Yep. So in what Proteus does- you don't want to have a rubber band that's overstretched and just correct. has lost that flexibility. Yes. So what Proteus does allows me to measure elasticity without having to do flexibility tests. Love it. Okay? Because Proteus loads the muscle immediately, whereas a dumbbell or a cable or these other things, they only load a certain range, where the Proteus is going to load the range against the muscle the whole movement. And you really can't understand that until you actually get on it and feel it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's how we see that in the results. The power or the watts generated on the machine. So just like on a bicycle, you go hard, it gives you higher watts. So there's a set workload and we're seeing how well you move against the set workload. And so the power tells us the peak force speed you created, okay? So let's just think of that as strength, okay? So the power is your strength side. The acceleration, which is on the screen right here under the other side, that's how quickly could your muscles activate your power. This is the secret of this machine. Yes, I need to have good power numbers, but if I don't have acceleration, it means my rubber bands, when they get stretched, they can't create speed right away. They have to shorten way down and then they can create it. And so I like to relate it to a car. We have an 18 wheeler, freight truck, and we have a Ferrari. Which do you think is gonna throw a baseball faster? Yeah. The Ferrari. It's funny, we, in, in the gym that my son trains in, we had a guy who is an Olympic sp sprinter who never, fr from Jamaica, yeah. he actually beat Usain Bolt's high school record, okay? Yeah. Never picked up a baseball in his life. And one day they decided, well, the pros, they wanted to get it just to, just to see what he would do when he would throw. And first time throwing, he's so elastic, as you said. Yes. That he, he was throwing in the mid to upper 70s Without ever knowing like what it looks like to pitch, right. his muscles no are mechanic. Yep. elastic. Yes, and that's the key is the elasticity. So it's power. And if we break power, there's a strength, a speed, and then flexibility. Yep. So when you compare it to a car, everybody right now is going to the gym and they're training like a freight truck. They want a power lift. They want a muscle gain. They want to do all this stuff. And they realize they're training their bodies to be slow like a freight truck. 
the heavier the load, the slower. Mm -hmm. So you need enough strength, but a lot of speed. That's the issue in baseball training that I see globally in the kids that come in that have never trained and they screen. I'm like, you're the typical, your push is good, your pull is good, and your vertical is good, but none of those matter for baseball. We need lateral bound, we need trunk rotation, and we need chop and lift. Here's the problem, right? If I'm a typical parent and I've spent a lot of time on the internet looking at things, I'll see people who put up, uh, and I'm not going to name names, right? But I'll put, I'll, I'll see formulas on how yes. to throw yes. really hard. Yes. And there's all these strength metrics of deadlift over 400 pounds and mm -hmm. such and such of your body weight. And so when you look at that, you're assuming, okay, yeah, I just got to move heavy weights and that's going to get me there. And here's why that works, because the people that worked for that confirmed that formula, they were already good elastic people. If you take a good elastic person and you give them some strength, boom, you get it immediate. But you take somebody who isn't gifted with elasticity and you make them stronger, they either stay the same or very marginal improvement or, or a significant decrease. Okay. So. When we realize that elasticity is the goal, it changes the whole game of how we think about the weight room because football is different. You have to run into somebody. So because of that, you need to develop freight train or 18 wheeler type strength because you're running into somebody in baseball. You're throwing a five ounce ball and you're swinging a bat and you're moving your body weight. You're not running into anybody. Everything is very velocity based or acceleration based. Mm -hmm. So we need enough strength so that you can resist injury, have capacity for practicing and playing all the time, but you need a lot of speed. And so they got to get out of this, I got to have football lifts, deadlifts and squats and realize I need to have angular lifts like rotation and shoulder chop and lift and single leg. And so when we look at your son, he fits it textbook, okay? So I'm gonna show you two, I'm gonna show you their report and then I'm gonna show you how we filter the data to make it simple. Can you see my screen right yeah, now? I can. Okay, so we see if we just look at the little body figure over on the left, we see he's all light green. Okay, mm -hmm. which it means he's in the top fifteen percent. Okay, which, when we look, uh, huh? Which when he started in high school, he couldn't even do a push-up. Okay, so he's developed a lot of that. That's great. If we go down to his core, we see the core. We see a green and a little blue. So one side of his core is a little bit less developed. Then when we go down to his legs. We see a lot of orange and uh, we, we see some green and blue on his vertical jump, but we don't see it on a single leg move. Okay. So when yeah, this, he, is the one, this is a number that, that stood out to me was uh, that he was 521% basically more powerful on two legs than one leg. What would me, you normally, what would you normally see an athlete? If, like when you look at a number like that, what would you normally expect? So we want to see the lateral bound Watts equal the vertical jump watts okay so he was 101 on vertical jump and he was 66 on lateral bound so he has what we call a single leg deficit he doesn't spend enough time on one leg being on one leg is more complicated for the body than being on two legs neurologically besides besides physically mechanics of the muscles neurologically all of it is more dynamic but that's where sports are played and that's mm -hmm. why I hate bilateral lifts like last year we got rid of deadlift. I mean, it's sacrilegious. Are you kidding me? We got rid of deadlift. <laughs> but here's the thing is our velocities kept going up and our back injuries went down. If we look at him on this deal, we see that his lateral legs are low. So what I'm going to do is this form is so many numbers. This is really a science form. What yeah. I'm going to do is give this to you in the way we do it. And so let me pull that. Yeah, and I got a sneak preview of what it generally looks like, but I'm looking... Uh, obviously, it's more interesting when you get to look at your own numbers, so to speak. Yes. So here is his number. Here, here is him. That, it's not showing up it. yet. Oh, it's not? Nope. You might have to change the screen. Let me look here real quick. Oh, yeah. Let me switch. So I'm going to go to this and share. There can see. Okay. So what we did is right at the point in time when ground force is going to peak on the front foot. So pressure into the ground for those that, that don't know, that's when the, what we call the launch happens. Everything prior to that is loading the rubber bands. Mm -hmm. And then when that foot hits the ground and creates pressure and you see the body move and the arm launch. That's what we call the launch. That's when power 
grabs that flexibility and launches the ball. So it starts with the front leg. So what you see there is in the green, it says vertical. Okay. Yep. The top number is how we score the power. The bottom number is how we score the speed. Okay. And this is just like grade school. Anything below 70, major limiter. It's an F. Anything 70 to 85 is competitive. And anything 85 to 100 is elite. Okay. So if you look right there on his vertical jump ability, so we took all the Proteus data and we overlaid it over the, the picture of the Scherzer to show how those movements are used when you throw. So the vertical jump is just general. Okay. But we put it on there because we want to compare it to the single leg. Okay. So he scored 84 in his strength. Okay. So he's pretty much in the elite category. He's 107th on speed. Mm -hmm. So he is super fat. His ability to create twitch when he's on two legs is elite college level rock and roll. But look what happens when we put him on one leg. 60 was his strength number. So now he's got an F. Mm -hmm. But look at his speed, 25. So now he's got a double F. Okay. So when his, when he takes all that mass he has, which should equal gas, and he comes down on that lead foot, his leg does not have enough elastic power to send speed back up his body. So he has no anchor. So imagine I'm shooting a slingshot and my, where I hold the handle is weak. I yeah. can't pull the slingshot back very far. I can't launch it very far. So essentially the first part of grabbing speed for him is limited. Now he was limited on both legs. So his ankle injury being on one side, both of them were the same. Mm -hmm. It's something that he's going to have to, he has more mass. So therefore his level of single leg strength is going to have to be significantly higher. So right now I would dump deadlifts, squats, anything out of his program. I would give him three lower body lifts. I would give him single leg hip thrusting with a barbell. Yep. So he lays his shoulders on a bench, his knees bent, and he does hip thrust. And he needs to get his single leg strength to where he can lift his body weight on the barbell for eight reps. Okay. Okay. That is a strength foundation. When he gets to that point, we don't need to make it any heavier. We're not trying mm -hmm. to go three plates or four plates. At that point in time, I would like to put a sensor on the bar and now say, now I need you to move that same weight faster. Yeah. Yep. And that's how we, that's how we would change that. Then the other lift we're going to give him is what we call a skater squat. So people have probably heard of rear foot elevated split squats or Bulgarian split squats. That back leg is contributing up to 30% of the weight. And it's also taking the balance component out. The skater squat is where you have to reach back like you're doing that and you tap your knee to the floor, but your leg never gets to rest. So you're literally on the front leg. Okay. Most people cannot do that. They can't even do their body weight. They have to start with a prerequisite to build into it. Then the third lift we're going to give them is a lateral Cossack squat, where we're trying to get them to be able to squat below parallel laterally because we need to have the outer side of the hip deal with the lateral force angle. Mm -hmm. And so those are our three core leg lifts that we achieve a certain level of strength and we pair it with a speed move that works the same way. Okay, so a lateral jump and we use a band or something to load it, or we put a sensor on the way to make them move it faster. Because again, strength will change the top number, but that bottom number is not going to change until you add speed to the component. And the bottom number really tells us when the muscle is stretched, can it get back quickly? So if you have a, a really good top number and a really bad bottom number, strength's not the issue quickness when the muscle is in its farthest stretch position is your issue okay so if we go back up next to his rotation we see that he scored 77 on strength so he's competitive but he's 58 on speed so now we have two slingshots that don't have enough speed so question here obviously now we're looking at deep core of the body right between that lateral leg and that rotation not necessarily deep core, it's let's pelvic it's, floor it's, up. No, it's really the oblique and the lat on his lead side. So the biggest muscles that contribute to trunk rotation okay. are the oblique on the side you're rotating and the lat on the side you're rotating. So if I'm rotating to the left, it's the le left lat and oblique. Those are the primary issues. But how could some of this be also an expression of, let's say, a mobility issue with the pelvis? Rarely. Okay. So the core rotation is really, we don't want the pelvis to move a lot. We want the rib cage to rotate around the pelvis. We're well, really, I'm talking about even the, the lateral leg as well. Oh, the lateral leg. 
Yeah. So here's the deal. If you have a limited socket or any mobility, you still should be able to produce enough power to move your body weight. Okay. Because okay? that's what the lateral bound tests within a limited range. I've never had an issue trying to get an athlete a better lateral leg and mobility was our limit. was our limiter. Okay. Now they may not be able to squat as deep or to get as much loading, but to get that minimum we need to block the lead leg, you're just working against your body weight. So it's usually not a big deal, but you have, you have to train that specifically. I've tried a, a whole bunch of ways to make those better and found that we have to get on one leg unsupported and get strong in that position. So I hate it when I see guys lifting huge split squats, but they're using a safety bar and they're holding the rig. Mm -hmm. Just took away the dynamic component they have to have in, in life, in sport. We have to learn how to balance the weight and control it. So that's a situation where we see somebody trying to lift more, but that's going to be unusable strength. And more than that, it's training economy, right? Yes. I'm spending yes. time on yes. stuff that is not necessarily going to translate into my sport. And I think that's the biggest, that's, I think, the biggest challenge that a lot of parents have. And they'll go and maybe there's some will go to gym. They won't go to sports specific trainer. And they'll yeah. do a whole bunch of exercises they may even see on the internet and not realize that specific thing they're doing is just wasting time because it's not going to translate. Yes. I, I'll give you a great example. I had a kid who recently said, hey, I'm just going to train at Lifetime. We're not going to train anymore. Went back and looked at his results. The first five months he trained with us, his Proteus overall score went from 47th percentile to 70th percentile. Then he goes and trains on his own for five months, comes back and rescreens, and he went from 70th to 71st percentile. So his training that he was doing at lifetime was not effective. It also his exit velo had relatively no change. Hey man, when you were doing our stuff and you were training speed in these right patterns and not doing meathead stuff, you got significantly better. You were more athletic. And then you figured out, oh, I can do this on my own. And you can, but just you need some guidance on what lifts to do and how to do them. And so we see that from time to time and it's pretty frustrating. So if we go look at him and continue on, so really single leg lateral mm -hmm. rotation, both of them were too slow. He scored 25th percentile and 58th percentile. Then we go to his shoulder chop and lift. So this is specifically the shoulder's ability to decelerate throwing and to accelerate throwing. So the brakes and the accelerator. So you see a score of 84 on his accelerator, which means, hey, he's strong enough, but he's 48 on his accelerator on his quickness or his speed. So his arm in the whole first phase of throwing is not creating any acceleration until the very end. Okay. That's what that means. So when he has a 48, that means when he's at layback and coming out of layback, he can't accelerate his arm very well. Which is interesting because he actually has always traditionally had very fast arm speed. So we were basically talking about the accelerator of the shoulder. Okay. So he scores 84 on the strength of it but he scores 48 on how quickly he can create the strength. So remember the bottom score is how quickly you can accelerate. So when I say accelerator, I mean his throwing motion coming mm -hmm. forward. So he has strength, but he can't create the strength quick enough. Okay. And so despite what his hand speed is on 3d or anything like that, this tells me that when his pec, his lats, and his internal rotators are at full stretch, which is at max layback, he'll have to get his arm up a little bit before those muscles can really kick on. Okay. Okay. So what that means is the tissue has, is stretched out and it ha like if it's a rubber band and let's say the rubber band stretches eight inches, he can't create power till it gets down to about four inches. Okay. If his acceleration was 80, 84 as well, that means he can create it within the first inch or two of movement. So if we're thinking about the physics of throwing a ball, we need our catapult to create speed immediately. Yeah. Okay? Also, what this means is that this tells me that the, that tissue is not trained in the gym properly to withstand the vigors of pitching because we need to be able to control that tissue's ability to get out of its length position because when you're at length when you're stretched is when most tears strains sprains all those kind of things happen so that's where if i had a kid who's even higher let's say i had a kid at 107 and mm -hmm. 48 he's a higher injury risk because okay. man he can create a lot of torque but he can't do it at length which means that tissue can tear
Okay, so that's where we look at the the uh, the chop down. Let's look at the chop up. He's eighty two fifty six. So again, high strength, low speed. That means his decelerators are only strong when their muscles are in a short position. Okay, okay? so your son is pretty textbook of a guy who's done traditional lifting. His look at his push and pull, by the way. Mm -hmm. So right side push eighty three one ten, super explosive. And his pull, 70, 78, 130. So that shows, and then his vert, he's a push-pull squat guy. Mm -hmm. But it also shows me that this guy has a high level he can achieve. He just needs to train them in the angle specific to his sport. Yeah. He's training to be a football player. That's what, No wonder they wanted to re recruit him the first week he stepped in high school as a football player in wrestling. Yeah, he's a big dude, and he does that stuff really well. The fact that he's that big and he gets 107 on his vert – that when you can move that level of weight quickly, like that's a kind of D lineman or O lineman that can hammer people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have to take that athleticism that he he's showing he can express and put it in his actual sport. So for his lifting, it would be all on one leg. Yep. His core work would be a ton of things like landmines and trunk rotations and med ball rotations, but they'd have to be very intentful in doing it at the right angle. And then he would need to work a lot of shoulder stuff. And I'm talking like internal external rotation with a cable in pitching position. Mm -hmm. Flies, reverse flies, lat pull, single arm lat pulls, all with a cable or a Kaiser, dumbbell. Kaiser, Kaiser pulls would be great. Yes, Kaiser, those are my favorite. Yeah. So, or if you have access to a Proteus, you can train all that light and fast on a Proteus super easy. But we use the Proteus as a blend. We use Kaiser machines. We use dumbbells. But the biggest one I love is flywheels. Yep. Flywheels. Brian Carson was telling me your love of flywheels. Here's why. So that low number, so that muscle needs to be trained at stretch, okay? And it needs to be able to learn how to decelerate the stretch and get out of the stretch. That's exactly what a flywheel does. No other piece of equipment on the earth does it. Because if I take a flywheel and I do that chop move, so here, let me put it on me where you guys can see me here. Let me end the screen share and go just to me. I forget how to do that. Stop. There we go. Okay. You can see me now? Yep. Okay. So if I take a chop move and I'm coming here to here, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm basically I'm doing a lap pull, a fly, an internal rotation all at the same time. If I do that with a flywheel, so the flywheel is behind me, and so I'm pulling forward, and the flywheel, you never beat inertia. So when I take a dumbbell and if I do a move, as soon as I get it moving against gravity, it gets a little easier because I, I beat the initial starting strength. Yeah. With a flywheel. Like when people do a, a bench press. Yes. So once you get it off your chest a little bit and it's moving, you can move it. Okay. So a flywheel is like doing it on the initial move, the whole move. Because the flywheel is trying to slow down all the time. So you're having to fight inertia all the way through. So what does that do? It activates more tissue. And here's where this, the greatness kicks in. So when I hit the front of the range, and now the flywheel pulls me back, it pulls me back at 130% of what I put into it going forward. So I'm having to rapidly stop the stretching of the tissue, which is the bottom number on the Proteus test. So yeah. with the Proteus diagnosis where I'm weak, and then we use flywheels to train the bottom number, and we use dumbbells and cables and flywheels to train the top number. Okay. And realistically, if a baseball player had access to even just a planet fitness, a mm. cable machine, dumbbells, and then he bought a hundred dollar set of bands, we build like I get a kid who's down in Alito and he's been on that plan and he's gone up 20 miles an hour exit velo and throwing velo. Just dumbbells, a cable column, and a set of bands because we're going to use those three things to create the angles to create the loading mechanism and the speed mechanism. And bands make it really safe to do it without supervision. So question for you. So if we take those same, those same numbers and mm -hmm. we put it on him as a hitter, because he's a 95 to 100 mile per hour exit velo guy, even though now he's a PO, he hasn't really been hitting a lot. Those numbers would express differently in the swing than in the pitch. Yeah, so here's what happens in the swing. The lead leg is still just as important. Okay. You look at hitting, front 
foot plant, and then I use that to create leverage rotation. Now the torso rotation is still super important, but the shoulders are different. So instead of looking at the trail shoulder chop and lift, we have to look at the lead shoulder lift and the trail shoulder chop. Because okay. in hitting my lead arm, so as I create separation, this arm stretches. So now the back of the lead shoulder becomes the same issue as the layback. It's the thing getting stretched all the time. So it's constantly stretched, stretched. So what we find with hitters is their lead shoulder lift, acceleration is what is, ends up being garbage, okay? And their trail shoulder chop and punch because when I'm hitting, my elbow is more connected. So therefore bench press plays into that, okay? okay yep. And that's why we'll look at trail side push, trail side chop, lead side lift on the, uh, on the Proteus test, but the lower half is still the same. So the vertical jump usually tells us if they can spin their hips really fast, mm -hmm. but the lead leg tells us if they can plant, create an anchor and leverage for rotation. Got it. But here's the thing is the same like single leg core rotation and then chop and lift. It's the same lifting for the hitter. It's just, they need both shoulders to be good. Not just the throwing one. Yeah. So it can be very similar. Now, the other thing with runners is uh, hitters, they have to play positions. So we also got to bring into account. Now I got to look at the slingshots of how you run. Okay. And squats and deadlifts don't do that either because running is a horizontal force. So my foot is having, when my foot hits the ground, I have to create shearing, not as much pushing vertically. So fast guys, like your Olympic guy you had, yep. they often can have great vertical jumps, but a great vertical jump doesn't always equal fast. Okay. So that's where the horizontal hip thrust, we take it from a bent knee position and we put your heel on a plyo box and you have to do it almost straight legged because now the hamstring is just as important as the glute. Is this, is this also one of the things, like the other day you guys posted about Tanner and how he's dropped his his 60 by two, by two seconds. So are you also taking this data into that plan for him in terms of getting that acceleration going when he's running? Yeah. So if we think about, okay, so if we go back to your picture for a second. So we do this stuff in the weight room and get the numbers looking good. We have to still transfer it like mechanically. So that's where we love med ball specific pitcher moves, plyo care balls, things like that. And so with running, we build it in the gym, but we still have to transition it. So that's where we like overspeed bands. So basically you have a, a band. We like the one from Speedster because it stretches 40 yards or 30 yards. So you connect it and you sprint out 30 yards against resistance. Mm -hmm. okay? So that resistance now is teaching you how to have proper stride mechanics. And then we flip the band and it pulls you back faster than you can run creating stride frequency. So we get that same kind of movement specific adaptation. So we take what you did in the gym and express it on the field and then combine that with some running drill form track type stuff to learn how to properly utilize those mechanics. And that's been the blend for him. Right, uh, but, you can, but you can start identifying what some of the issues are based on the data. And we, here's the deal. If you can't lateral bound, can you really apply force to the ground? Exactly. So now you're talking about a person who, and here's the other thing with running is now the push pull comes into play. Cause really when I'm doing the push pull one armed while I'm standing, it's also telling me how well you can stabilize against the ground for leverage. So if you have a weak push pull and a weak lateral bound, like, man, like we really, do we really even need to go do agility drills? Because you don't have a big enough engine. That's like trying to go drive a race car with a Toyota Corolla engine. No, let's go build the engine, then take it to the track. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's many... interesting because you talk about this pulling in, in the sprint. And I was in Atlanta for the WWBA this year and went up to see Jason Collar and the inventor of the kinetic arm. Uh -huh. a facility there called Elite Edge. And we were talking about this. 90% of the running drills online right? Kids with a sled in the back or a band, someone holding them, but that's actually slowing the runner down. You rarely see, like you said, someone up front pulling them, get them to move faster because yeah. that's what we need them to do. So the sled deal is, goes back to if they have, they don't have a big enough engine, then the sled's building an engine. 
So it, there hasn't, it has a very specific adaptation and yes, it can be way overused. So when they look at overspeed and underspeed stuff, they see this with weighted bats and balls and everything. You only want 10 or 20% over or under. When you get outside of those numbers, the load is too great. So it changes mechanics, slows you down, or it's too light. So it's, there's a very specific window. That's why we like using that one band, because I can just base it off your body size and it's super easy. And we've had a catcher, he did a, that for about four weeks and we dropped, I think, five tenths of a second off at 60 time. So again, it's just, it's the right tools. And when you're evaluating all the time, we get to see what really works and doesn't work. You know, that's one of the things that, that a lot of people, it's like, if you're testing and retesting, you go, man, wow, this worked for these eight, but why not these? Let's dig into that. Oh, wow. Our angle is not good. It's not really, these guys are just really gifted movers. So that lift didn't really do it. That was their genetics. And so that's where we like really plop plow through all the minutiae. And from what I understand from Brian, you're also, you're looking at this data separately as well. And you have like your own intelligence behind it and how you're creating your programs as well. Correct? Yes. So that's something that uh, we have a relationship with Proteus on that they eventually want to try to extra extrapolate because uh, we are changing the numbers. I and mean, we're the number one tested Proteus site in the world. We run more tests on Proteus than anybody and because we're pre and posting every eight to 12 weeks. And eventually our algorithms that we use will be integrated into software where people can get an auto-generated program and things like that. But that may be a year or two down the road. But that's awesome. Because I, I, I think that's where, obviously, I was working with somebody to, to try to get there because, you know, I founded the the web analytics association which is the digital analytics association okay and one of the biggest things in my and my previous book was called be like amazon and one of okay. the things i learned early on is look you know what it's great to look at the outputs right obviously we want to know what the velocity is we want to know that but what this report is giving you from the proteus is you're truly understanding what the inputs of the body are yes yes and we can manage inputs those are controllables we know yes. exactly how to tweak each That's one of right. those yes. the outputs, like I'd love for you to throw 95. I can't control that in the big chaotic system that you are. But when I look at each of these individuals, the upper body, the core, the acceleration, yes. acceleration, lower yes. body, now I can plan on here's what I need to do to work for your body to get Correct. it. Yeah. So what other industries use that? That's how they do everything engineering, robotics, all of that. But strength conditioning, this is the first time that we've had a truly ability to break it down like that and rebuild it. And it's, yeah, it, it's not rocket science once you, once you know how to look at it. Yeah, no, it, it, this is awesome. And I put this out on Twitter. I said, I, I really believe that all the best facilities are going to have to have this. All the schools are going to have to have a Proteus. Obviously, all, all the professional teams are going to need this because there's so much data that you can get out of this so quickly. They talked about it last night. The full assessment takes 12 minutes. They'd love to get it down to six. But mm -hmm. even 12 minutes, to have that level of, of insight into what's doing. Because if you look at my son and you look at, he does plenty of single leg exercises. If you look at him, you'd be like, okay, sure. We're just going to keep adding more speed components. And that's all we've been doing this last year. He's been using a lot of VBT devices for, for all, a lot yeah. of his things. All his lifts have been for speed as opposed to max weight. But without being able to get into that specific part, we couldn't find out how little acceleration force he was getting on that one leg. And yeah. well, now and, we know, like you said, the next 12 weeks, exactly what we need to zero in on as opposed to, hey, let's just write a program knowing that we just need to get him faster, and but we don't know specifics of, of where. You made a good point about teams and everybody get, getting to use it. So we actually, the, our Proteus machine is portable. We have a trailer and we take it. We went over to a high school over here in, in the Keller area and we evaluated the whole team. And we're, do, we're running their entire offseason plan. And their coach said something really important to me. He said, look, we got blast motion and we got all this stuff, but I'm a coach. I don't have time to break all this down and plan. So really what our goal is, and if any of your people are listening and we come to high school, we evaluate the team, 
And then we build your off-season plan based upon what the data tells us. And we're using the regular type of equipment they have. They just had to get some landmines to go with all their barbells so we could turn everything into single leg stuff. So we can do that for high schools. We can do it for people. We can do it for a select team. We can put that thing on a trailer and haul it somewhere and come evaluate so people can have more effective training. And until it's available to everybody everywhere, that's where we see our, ourselves being able to provide services. So even last night when they were on the, the, the Twitter spaces, I was thinking to myself, like, Obviously, technology shrinks every year and, 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 or every couple of years. How portable can they eventually make this? And I'm just thinking in my head, but I'm like, that's pretty awesome that you can bring it around. People have to get in touch with you how far they would, you'd be willing to travel with it. But that's, like I said, I, as soon Brian kept telling me, we need to get Sammy on it. Just try to understand what's going on and... I had literally gotten off a call with a friend of mine who is a minor league head coach who also owns his own facility. And he told me the first thing he bought this off season was a Proteus. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like obviously, and I've been following them online for a while because this stuff always fascinates me. But until I actually experienced it with Sammy I still couldn't have imagined the level of insight that, that we got from it. Yeah. And you see a lot of people on social media. Oh, look, you can do that with a cable. And I'm like, look, dude, like I've been doing this for 21 years. I've bought all our equipment. I have a huge facility. It's not the same as anything else out there. And, yeah. We've, uh, we've measured Kaiser chops. Yeah. As an example. And that measurement of the amount of force that you can generate, it's not the same as this. And part of that is, is because, again, the Kaiser is a single line of force. So the connection of where he's at, that connection would have to move every degree as he do the movement to give you what's really happening in sport. Because when you're throwing a ball, the line of force is perpendicular as you move every degree, every half a degree. So unless you can replicate that with a cable, which you can't, trust me, I actually talked to Free Motion Fitness about how to develop it. So when I saw the Proteus, I was like, wait a minute, they already figured it out. I'll just buy one of those. So one thing I did want to mention, even if you don't have a Proteus, we have a way using a med ball and using your body that we can do a one-off testing that can, because we've already been doing some correlation studies and found the, where the kind of the percentages rank. So we can do remote stuff too. Like all somebody needs is a tape measure, an eight pound medicine ball, and we can give them, we can get data that's relatively close. And we can do remote training. Like our training is anywhere from 20, 25 to $50 a month. Which is awesome. But it, it, it's, but because it's so tied into all the data base that you already have and what. Yes, you're that's been the key. Yeah. Yeah. Cause and, we have, and, it, and it's not, and it's not based purely on strength metrics, obviously. But no, the, no, yeah. No, we, so we, use, what we've been doing is correlating how far you can lateral bound with your Proteus data. So then you can go do a lateral bound on a tape measure and we can go, oh, that's going to score X, Y, Z. And so now you can just send us your lateral bound data and we know where you're at. Now, here's the big final question. So Sammy wants to know, he's actually in the gym right now, but he wanted to know so if he fixes this one leg thing and, and he gets a better job at, at using this ground force with one leg, will he be able to dunk as well? <laughs> hey duncan's two-legged thing his vert's pretty solid the only thing i would say is he's got to get his vert where both numbers are 100 both the uh, the top number and the bottom number because the okay, top so number is essentially how high you're getting the bottom number is how quickly you get there but hey single leg training will definitely bring more dynamic ability to his lower half so single leg will transfer to double leg but double okay. leg doesn't transfer because one's more dynamically difficult than the other. So it will go one way. That's why it's like, hey, do single leg. I'll give you an example. Yeah, you know, I played Division II football, ran track. You know, I did 405 for 10 was like my best deadlift at 195 pounds. I'm 43 now. All I do is flywheel single legs, okay? And I do it maybe twice a week. Four or five months ago, my wife was in her training with me on a day when nobody was here. And she said, you don't lift anymore. I don't think you're strong anymore. And I said, well, I can still throw 400 down. She goes, no way. So I start loading the bar up, do my warm-up sets. I pulled 454 for six. 
personal record at 43 years old doing single leg flywheel only. So there's some anecdotal evidence for you. So the lessons learned here is get evaluated on a Proteus if you can, because mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of information there about your body that to know whether you have the right strength and power and acceleration mm -hmm. and balance in your body in order to do this. Correct. Two, lots of med balls and three, a flywheel. And I wouldn't say lot, med balls help if you can. So I don't like sideways med balls. They okay. don't create the same angle. I would say landmine rotations without the poles. I would say cable rotations, banded cable rotations, anything where you can load yourself in that early phase. Okay. okay. And then, and then yes, flywheels for the shoulders. Yeah. Perfect. Jared, this was excellent. If people want to find out more about you and, and your facility, let them know where they can find you. So they just go to www.trainpmt.com. That's T-R-A-I-N, P as in Paul, M as in Michael, T as in Tom. And uh, there's a tab that says get started. So just fill that out. We're not going to spam you. It just lets us know who you are, how we can get in touch with you. And there's some questions to find out about what your goal is, pitching or hitting or whatever it is. And we'll follow up with you and give you whatever information you need. Yeah. And, or if you're a school that, that wants to have you out to, to evaluate the whole team, this is, would be a great time to start doing that as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Jared, thank you so much for your time today. Hopefully we'll see you up around the Christmas break. You know, I heard Tanner and Sammy want to have a live AB face-off. Uh, okay. Um, I like that. You know, even though Sammy will just be starting his throwing back up around that time. But we'll hopefully maybe get retested as well and, and make sure all these numbers are obviously much higher and see where that velo goes this offseason. Excellent. It was a pleasure and I look forward to it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Also, please consider following us at Baseball Mentors and picking up a copy of our book, Play Ball Kid. We wish you the best of luck in your baseball journey.